Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now is the manager of the Red Sox. It is Alex Cora. Alex, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you're in Cincinnati right now, and there weren't a lot of fans last night, but at least you guys picked up the win. Nah, it was a, a good baseball game. Uh, <clears throat> we won the bat well. Um, I mean, yeah, we struck out 14 times, but we walked six times, and that's something we've been talking lately. I like dominate the strike zone, and... Uh, <laughs> You see the results, obviously a little bit late, I feel, but uh, it's something that uh, we've been preaching for a while and hopefully it's the beginning of something great for next year. Yeah, it's a fun game to watch last night. And I needed to get to this. So Tommy Pham, we know about his resume as a fantasy football player and the slap heard around the world with Jock Peterson, of course, that resulted in a suspension. But I heard you say this week that he's the best fantasy player on the team. So this is like legitimate. This guy's like really into his fantasy, huh? He is, he is. Uh, actually, Christian Arroyo was the one that brought it up. Uh, he, he talked about it. I think he's in uh, four leagues. He's in the Reds one, the one here. I think he's in one charity one with uh, Wainwright that he, he runs. So he's very proud of his teams. He was talking about uh, he was down 70 points going into Sunday night and then Josh Allen and uh, somebody else. They, they scored 74 points for him, and he came back. So, I don't know. I, I haven't played fantasy football since uh, 2008 when I won the league here with the Red Sox. I retire on top, so uh, <laughs> much about it. Uh, but uh, I heard good things about Tommy. Yeah, wasn't that too? I remember, like, that big video that came out after that. Didn't somebody draft, like, Jay Cutler in the second round when you guys were playing? Yeah, it was uh, Kevin Cash and Dustin Pedroia. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be one of the worst picks of all time. But hey, so I'm watching Brian Bayo on Tuesday night and he was tremendous once again. I mean, the swing and miss stuff, Alex, is ridiculous. I mean, that first inning, he's dominant. Then he loads the bases and he finds a way to get out of that jam. What have you made of him so far in his short little tenure here with the Sox? 
He, he's been great. Uh, I do believe he's made some huge strides uh, since the first two starts against Tampa, right? Uh, obviously, there's a learning process and uh, coming from AAA to the big leagues, you saw what the Rays did. They loaded up with a bunch of lefties and he, he was only a two-pitch pitcher, right? Sinker changeup. Little by little, using his slider a little bit more, four seamer up against lefties. Now he has a curveball that he learned in two minutes uh, from Rich Hill. <laughs> but honestly, it's just the, the progression, you know, the, the way he prepares, uh, uh, scout reports, uh, watching games, and uh, he's a good one. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some up and downs. Uh, I'm looking forward for the one on Sunday, Sunday night baseball. That, that should be fun in, in Yankee Stadium. And uh, I know he's ready, but uh, so far, so good. We're very proud of him. Yeah, it'd be nice for him to go in there and shut them up. That'd be very fun to watch. And that is crazy, too, about the curveball. And Rich Hill's just teaching him it, like, during the game. That's crazy that he busted it out uh, last week a couple of times in that game. But I love, like, the mound presence that he has. He's hopping around the mound. He's got a ton of energy, which is obviously good to see. Does he remind you? I'm not saying the guy that wore 45, but does he remind you of anybody else, the way that he approaches things? Um, not really. I know a lot of people have talked about Pedro and all that. Uh but just, uh, I'm trying to think, but nah, now, uh, the one thing I noticed and, and when you see him on the mound and, and to be able to do what he did with the curveball, right. And, and talking to Rich and then, Hey, I'll try it. He's not afraid. And, uh, I can tell you when he faced Tampa the first two days and then, uh, Toronto, he looked a little bit smaller. Now he looks a lot bigger on the mound and, uh, I know he, you know, like yesterday, he, he ran into trouble. He, he lost his strike zone, but then he came back. And this, everything that we're doing right now for him is is for him to be better, you know, for him to be the guy that we envision. Uh, that's why you saw him, uh, I think it was against Baltimore, right? He, he went five innings. And I told Jason Veritek, I go, Jason, we take him out or he goes out there and he, he learns. And Jason was like, he has to go out there and learn. And you saw what happened. We ended up losing the game. But uh, I think we're doing an outstanding job with him, Bushy, Walk, Jason, and the whole pitching department. And, uh, you know, uh, we're very proud of him. Yeah, he's been great. And Cutter Crawford was really great for, what was it, six games, five starts technically. And then he kind of hit a bit of a rough patch. But now you guys shut him down. So do you attribute the struggles more so to the health? Because it did seem like, Alex, when he came back up, that he sort of figured something out. Yeah, we, we're, we're looking at it. Uh, I have my, you know, my thoughts uh, with, with Cutter. I think it was more about, you know, scouting report and knowing sometimes what was coming, uh, especially with men on. If you see the numbers, he got hit hard with men on, and uh, that's something we're digging in. We'll keep our secrets to us, right? But uh, <laughs> wise he was really good still. You know, the velocity was there. We have to mix up the breaking ball. I think that's the most important thing because it seems like every every pitch was gelling together and guys were on time. Also, um, you know, uh, pitching inside to right-handed hitters. That's very important. But uh, as far as his health and all that, I don't think his struggles had to do with that. I think it was just scouting reports and people, you know, in the opposition doing, doing a good job just finding out stuff uh, from Cutter. Yeah, and Alex, over the weekend, of course, news that Kevin Plowecki was DFA'd. But, I mean, if you look at it from a pragmatic standpoint, I should say, it it makes sense. You want to play McGuire. You want to get a good look at Wong, and you get to bring up an extra reliever. But 
How difficult is it to you as the manager, knowing that that's the right thing to do for the long-term view of the Red Sox, but also catering to the guys in the clubhouse? And I know you like Ploiecki as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's amazing that it became a story, but this is where we play. This is where we play. And uh, this is the beauty of Boston, right? When we're doing great, they they find something. And when we're doing bad, they find something else. And uh, it was just a baseball decision. This is, I mean, people talk about business and baseball decisions. This is a baseball decision. It's mm. something we we did the same thing with Familia, right? We, we tried Familia. We saw what he had. He's still throwing 96, 97, but we have to move on to the next, to next, next level, right? And we get uh, Herman here. You see uh, Kelly pitching a little bit more, Ord pitching a little bit more, and that's the reason we let uh, Familia go. And with Plow, it was the same thing. Actually, we've been talking about this for a while. And uh, I hate the fact that people are just pointing the finger at Heim. You know, that's not the case. You know, like communication about this has been going on for a while. I was part of the process. I was part of the decision. And Kevin knows it. It's just a matter that, hey, now we have to move on. The timing is the timing. You know, like a few weeks ago, we thought that, hey, if we play good baseball and the others struggle, we have a chance to make the last two series count. But it didn't happen. We got swept in uh, – against the Rays, and I think that was it, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. wish Kevin nothing but the best. Uh, I think uh, he'll be a big leader sooner rather than later, you know, very soon. So, uh, he'll be okay. And uh, actually, no state tax where he's going, so that's good for him, too. <laughs> yeah, so you were surprised. <laughs> that's a good thing. I lived there for a couple of years, Alex. I know that. So, you were so you were surprised that it became like such a massive story because when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But then I saw the comments coming out. You were kind of like taken back, like, why is this thing become such a big story here? Yeah, uh, I know what Rich uh, said and, and and Nate and I. I talked to them about it. Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing timing wise was that Rich was pitching the next day at four o'clock, so he was gone already. And Nate is one of the first ones that leaves because he's doing his rehab and all that and when he always stops by my office he always does and that day i was doing media then i was looking for something else and we just miss each other and he left but uh after we talked to kevin it was very emotional to tell you that uh there were like 20 of us that stay in the clubhouse just having beers and talking baseball with plow so all these things about like loud and clear and you know the message and all that i don't know man like we we have a very good group we we pride ourselves in culture and fear and uh it just happened that two guys weren't there when when this happened and you know it became a story well yeah the thing that jumped out to me you mentioned nate's comments so nate just kind of brought up kyle schwarber and hunter renfro when he was talking about the ploiecki situation i was looking at it last year alex like Prior to him making his debut, you guys were 24th in walk rate. After he starts playing for you guys, you go all the way up to third in walk rate. This year, you're 20th in walk rate. And of course, we know he hit the 40th home run last night. Were you surprised that there wasn't more of a push, especially considering what he meant to this lineup to try to bring him back this year? I mean, we, we had conversations, uh, but we trusted Bobby Dalbeck. You know, the way he finished last year, we were talking about like, you know what? This is the time to give Bobby a chance. You know, uh, he finished strong. He didn't play much in the playoffs, but you see the power. You see him dominating the strike zone, and we decided to win that route. You know, uh, Bobby Bobby struggled. Yeah, he knows it. You know, uh, 
there's a few things that he's working right now in AAA, and hopefully it clicks and, you know, he becomes a player that we have envisioned. But I think that was one of the decisions we made. You know, we, we trusted this kid. And, you know, big leaguers, they go through up and downs. You know, it's nothing about Kyle. It was more about who we have and the, the, the personnel that we felt it was going to be a good one for this season. And um, it just didn't work out. Yeah, and now you look at the guy that's playing first base in Tristan Cassis, and I know he hasn't really hit the ball well, although two of his hits have been home runs. And I've been really impressed, Alex, with the approach. I mean, only two guys are swinging at less pitches out of the zone since he's come up with the team. He's played a solid first base. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do now that it's getting colder in terms of the sunbathing situation. That's going to be difficult for him. But can you envision him being the everyday first baseman to begin 2023? Well, it's going to be 90 degrees here in Cincinnati, so he has a chance. Today. Uh, yeah, I think Tristan is a big part of what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, the fact that he's here is a good first step for him to see what the big leagues are all about. I'm not saying he's not going to be with us early in the season next year, but at one point he's going to become that guy. And uh, I agree with you. The quality of the bats are, are really, really good. You know, uh, let's forget about, about the numbers. Let's stay with the process. Right. And uh you know, there's a lot of three-two counts. He's not chasing pitches, like you said. Uh, we know about the power. He will put the ball in play. He'll find a way. That's that's what everybody's been saying. You know, like I know the strikeout rate is over 30% right now, but at one point he's going to make an adjustment. He's going to spread out. He's going to choke up, and he's going to go the other way. And his at bats will be dictated by the situation, which is very important. Nobody on. We don't mind him trying to go go deep, but he'll be a guy with men a third and less than two outs that he will put the ball in play and drive that guy in, and that's very important for us. So you guys were looking at it going forward in terms of, obviously, he's up, you have Bayo up, so there's a lot of bright future in terms of where the organization's at right now. But, of course, like looking back at this season, the improvement from Xander Bogarts defensively, we all know what he's meant to this team offensively, but... I mean, I was shocked, Alex, looking at some of the metrics and how much he's improved defensively. So obviously he deserves a ton of credit for that. But what did you guys do specifically to try to help him out, whether it be in spring training or in the offseason? So right before uh, December 2nd, we, we had individual Zoom meetings with every player. And, um, you know, this is from the strength and conditioning coaches to the athletic trainers, to the coaches and all that. And one of the things we talked Xander and Rafi both of them, that they have to work hard in the first step. And, uh, you know, we send a specific specific drills for them to work in the offseason. Uh, I don't know if they did because the communication factor wasn't there, but I know that they made some adjustments in the workouts. And, uh, you know, from – and this is – we learned this from uh, Jose Iglesias last year. Like, he, he told Xander – why don't you take your uh, ground balls with uh, with cleats, you know, the pregame thing, you know, instead of taking 40 ground balls on, on running shoes, take 20 with cleats. So you can actually do it the way you do it in the game. And he started doing that. Uh, there were a lot of drills uh, in spring training that big leaguers usually don't do is mostly minor leaguers or college kids uh, four corners and just simple roll, roll ground balls without the fungo. And, you know, we, they've been very good about it. Uh, they, we haven't stopped working with it. And uh, he's seen the, the, you know, the results, which is the most important thing. Another thing that we did uh, in combination with our analytic department, you know, the guys, they wanted to know everything about defensive run saves. You know, what, what's good, what's not good, what helps, what doesn't help. 
attack, a relay, all this stuff. And we came with a system that on a daily basis, we send them the information from the night before with the video. And exit velocity, catch probability, whatever, you know, whatever you gain or you lost in that play. And talking to him the other day, he was like, you know, before he talks to his girlfriend, he, before he talks to his mom, he checks his email and sees the plays, with, which is great, right? We're talking about one of the best offensive shortstops the last four or five years. He's not the best, and he's taking pride on his defense, and, you know, you can see the results, and he's very proud of it. Yeah, and Alex, I got to imagine that the front office doesn't have to ask you about the future of Xander Bogarts. I heard you say last week that you're the only guy that gets to pencil him into third in the lineup every day, and nobody else gets to do that. So I know how you feel about Xander, but do you think that the front office now looking at this this improvement defensively, and then secondarily that he's a leader of the team and he's been here for a long time, has had success in this market, do you think they factor those things into the process entering the offseason? I do believe going into whatever situation comes up in the upcoming weeks or, or months, whatever, we're going to be prepared to, to bring Xander back. You know, obviously it takes two. Uh, like I always said, the ball is in his court right now. You know, like he's the one that has to decide if he's going to uh, opt in or opt out, right? And uh, we know about his agent, you know, have a great relationship with Scott, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, uh, this is a guy that we really respect. This is a guy that we really like. He's a winner. And, you know, people can talk about whatever, you know, his defense. And, you know, he hasn't been, you know, like Francisco Lindor or or Carlos Correa. But, like I always said, uh, you know, I always said, you know, like in the Walker game, hitting fourth, I want Xander Bogers or, or hitting third. I know Frankie doesn't like that. You know, if he, he's going to see this, whatever. But uh, I just... This guy has the uncanny ability to hit for power. Obviously, his, his power numbers are down. But the fact that he puts the ball in play when it matters, you know, like, is, is unreal. We can talk about his infield hits, right? And people might say, oh, he's getting lucky. But, you know, for him to get lucky, he needs to put the ball in play, right? And uh, you see him the last few weeks, you know, whenever they shift him, he can shoot the ball the other way. And that's a skill set. You know, that's not luck. You know, he, he, he can do that whenever he feels like it. He can drive the ball, you know, and we always talk about that. That's something I told him when I got here. I wanted him to hit 280 with 30 instead of 310 with 10, you know. And uh, he understands the market. He understands who we are. And I love the fact that he's playing for the Red Sox. Yeah, me too. And look, I mean, it's got to be a skill at this point. If he continues to do it every year and he is up there in ground ball hits, it's got to be a skill. It can't just be something that is lucky. If it was one year, it'd be one thing, but it's happening every year. So it has to be some sort of a skill. He's been doing this for a while, you know, especially shooting the ball to right field. And that's something, as you know, and, and I know you study the game and you love the game. Not too many guys are using the, the backside of the field, right? Like everybody is like a dead bull hitter. You know, everything they hit in the air is to left, uh, to left field or left center. We're talking about right-handed hitters, and he doesn't do that. You know, he uses the whole field. Lately, he's been actually dominating strikes on a lot of walks. You know, yesterday, it was one of those days that in the last at-bat, I was like, I hope he walks again so we can actually talk about this game. You know, 0 for 1 with four walks, you know, the value of dominating strikes on. But he's been doing that lately, and uh, you can see the results. 
All right, so Garrett Whitlock, you guys shut him down. I gave him a lot of credit battling through it because, I mean, you could tell at times, Alex, like just obviously you know what's going on, but you can tell watching the game he's wincing at times. His gait looked like be like a little bit off, but I heard your comments about 15 to 18 outs are more valuable. So do you think that you guys are heading in the avenue of having him be a starter next season or is the offseason going to sort of dictate what the decision is? I think next week is going to be important to whatever decision we make, right? Uh, and we're going to leave it to the to the medical side of it to see, you know, what happens, you know. And obviously, he's going to be okay. But this is more about the player, not actually the Red Sox, you know. Can he handle five or six innings? Well, you know, we'll make a decision that. If he can't do it, then, you know, we'll we'll go the other way. But uh, it's too early for us to make decisions. Obviously, you know, we're mapping out the plan for the offseason and see what we're going to do. But, uh, no, regardless of the role, he's going to be a very important uh, 2023 Red Sox because he's that good and we made a commitment and we trust the kid. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see whatever it is next year because, I mean, when he's when he's on, I mean, nobody's touching him. Uh, another thing I was looking at is, too, just in terms of your bullpen. Early on in the season, I felt bad for you at times because you had the injury to Josh Taylor, which obviously you guys were planning on him having a major role with this team. I, he was one of the best left-handed pitchers against lefties last season. And then, obviously, the Diekman thing didn't really work out from, I mean, he had issues, of course, throwing strikes. And then Strom had a rough one last night. He's been decent for you guys, but... How difficult is it going through a season when you didn't really have that reliable matchup left-handed reliever that you did a year ago? No, I mean, you know, missing Josh was big. I think the Strami injury put us in a bad spot. Uh, actually, towards the end, Dickman was throwing the ball better. You know, velocity ticked up. He made some adjustments, and he was actually around the zone. Uh, we, we've been very inconsistent lefties or righties throwing strikes, and that was our biggest problem. If you go back to... Early in the season when Hansel was on, he was throwing a lot of strikes. And then after that, uh, I remember a game in Tampa, if I'm not mistaken, you know, like he he was all over the place and Kiermaier hit a home run. That was one of the toughest, toughest losses early in the season. And uh, we talked about it last year, you know, that we needed lefties, right? And uh, JT was good. Uh, we put Martin at the end in the bullpen and, you know, his stuff was really good, but it's something that he's never done in his career, right? And we paid the price. And this year, at one point, we were like, we had too many lefties, right? We had AD, we had Strami, we had Digman, and then JT was going to come off the the IL. It never happened. So uh, it's one of those seasons that I think stuff-wise, we were really good. If you think about it, right, they, they all threw hard. They have uh, good secondary stuff. But the strike-throwing problem was there from the get-go, and, and that's why we paid the price throughout the season. Yeah, and do you think now, going into this offseason, depending on the Whitlock situation, you're going to have Tanner Houck back, whether or not he's going to be a starter or a reliever. I mean, he was really good in the bullpen this year. You know, I mean, Schreiber has been a revelation. That guy's been nasty for you guys. But do you think there's going to be more of an emphasis this offseason in terms of going out and getting maybe established relievers to add to a pretty good group of that top two to three, depending on Whitlock's situation? Well, I think at the at, at the at the beginning, the the first things that we have to to sort out is the roles, right? What we do with Tanner? What we're gonna do with Wit? Right? That's the most important thing. But besides that, I think obviously we have some guys here that are very intriguing, right? Zach Kelly, you know, he's been really solid in AAA. He's done a, a solid job with us here. Caleb Ord, who is he? You know, he's thirty, and you saw it today. He was throwing a hundred. But then against Kansas City, he scuffled a little bit. So we, we're trying to find out who they are. Uh, the other one, 
Brazier is the, the other one, you know, like who, who, who we get, you know, like for for a month, he's great. Then he struggles for a little bit. Now in September, he's doing amazing. I think uh, as an organization, we have talked about relievers. And uh, if you take a look at the the best one out there who, who are the Houston Astros, they're the best of the best. I mean, you look at the numbers, it's unreal. They don't walk people. They strike out people. They don't give up runs. They throw a lot of strikes with good stuff. We always talk about the race, what they do. They, they pound the strike zone. And I think this year, for X or Y reason, we weren't able to do that. Whoever we get in the offseason, they have to throw strikes. That's the most important thing. And we know we have to get better in the pitching department. We know that at the end of the day, you look at the offense, and you know how I feel about it. It's been up and down. It hasn't been great. But overall, over 162 games, we're going to be top three, top four offense in the, in the game. The pitching side of it, we have to be better. We were really good early in the season. We struggled for three quarters of the season, and that's where we are, where we are. Alex, I wish that the pitch clock came into play this year with Sal Amor. I know he's good for you guys last year, but don't you wish you had that last year when Sal Amor was here? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> he went to uh, AAA. You know, he was doing a good job. I think it was like he, he was he was moving fast. But then uh, there was uh, an at-bat, a two, uh, a one- a 2-2 count. He threw a split, borderline strike, uh, borderline ball. So they call it a ball. He took his time, walk around, boom, boom, boom. Ball four, he got penalized. But uh, Sawa, if you think about it, if you look at the numbers, he, he was solid for us, you know. It just, in, it, I think it was more about the fastball never played the way we envisioned. You know, he wasn't able to elevate his fastball because if you think about it, stuff-wise, he was throwing 97, 98 at the end with a 94, 95 uh, mile per hour split. Not too many guys do that. Actually, at one point, we only had the three guys that can do that. It's Nate, Familia, and Sawa. But I think the fastball didn't play as well as we thought. And, uh, you know, we had to move on. It was kind of like Austin Davis, right? He was really good early on. And at one point, we had to move on. That's where we at, you know? Like, we have to keep moving forward, get better for next year. And uh, letting Sawa go was the right move at that time. Yeah, and Tommy Pham, who we talked about earlier in terms of the fantasy football aspect, but I feel like he's brought a nice energy to the team. Obviously, he plays with a lot of emotion, just like in terms of fantasy football as well. But going back to the beginning of the season when Heim traded away Renfro, you bring back Jack, you get a couple of prospects, which I was fine with at a vacuum to pay for prospects. I thought that was actually a big market move, not a small market move, right? Because you're essentially paying for prospects. But it felt like you guys didn't really have a replacement for Renfro until FAM. Do you feel like that right field situation has to be something that's emphasized in the offseason now that Kike's back? Yeah, I mean, I, Kike, the Kike move is a great move right away, right? Like, we we got this established big leaguer that he's a lead at second, a lead in center field. We can move around. Same what happened this year, too. You know, we were very inconsistent offensively early on. And the Jackie thing became a big, a huge thing, right? Like we expected Bobby to be, you know, the Bobby doll that we saw in the second half and it didn't happen. Uh, offensively, there were guys that have struggled with the power numbers, right? And I know the Hunter Renfro is a big thing. He was huge for us last year. Overall, as far as production, we haven't been able to be the team that we were last year without with Hunter or without Hunter, you know, like you see JD's power numbers, not there. Uh, Xander's power numbers, no, not there. Rafi has struggled, you know, in the middle of the season, right with his injuries and all that. He's almost back to who he is. But I think it was more about the group that didn't perform 
and that's why we were exposed. Um, I think early on, defensively, we were really good, right? And when Kike got hurt, and then we didn't play Jackie all the time because we needed offense, then we paid the price. Uh, Rob Refneider has done an amazing job. So, you know, I hate to point it out at one trade or one thing. I think it was the group that didn't perform, I think, as far as, like, punishing the ball, you know, hitting the ball out of the ballpark. We were leading the league in doubles, but we're not hitting too many home runs. And at Fenway, yeah, doubles are great, but homers are better, right? And we didn't do that, and that's why I think we got exposed offensively for an extended period of time. Yeah, how about, I mean, Ref Snyder, this guy's been ridiculous. He's hit, his OPS is well over 900 against lefties. Hit a home run, of course, in that game last night. But just on the Devers thing, I was looking at the last five games, he's been hitting the crap out of the ball, of course. I mean, he murdered that home run last. I still don't know why that guy threw him back-to-back fastballs, like, basically in the same location. <laughs> and the second one was softer. It didn't make sense to me. But, like, him going forward, do you even need to talk to him about, like, stuff about his future with the organization? Or does he just kind of take this stuff, like, it just rolls off? He rolls off. Uh, I had a conversation with him in opening day, and I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah. Are you you sure? You know everything that is going on. He's like, yeah, I just want to play baseball. Okay, cool. Just go out there and play. (laughs) With Rod, very simple. You know, uh, just the the lines of communication have been there since 2017. I always make a point of going to the Dominican and visit him in his environment and hang out with him for a little bit. Uh, he, he respects me a lot. I love him. You know, I love the way he goes about his business. You see him running. He's not ready. He's not, he's not a hundred percent, but he goes out there and he posts, you know, and that's very important. And, uh, little by little, you can see him moving better. And, uh, the concert story is, re- is real. We went to this concert at the new venue at Fenway and I go, Hey, how you feel? He's like, I feel great. I said, you're hitting second tomorrow. And he gave me this, this smile, you know, he was so happy that he was back to hitting second, but the only reason he wasn't hitting second is like the fear of him being in front of these guys and have to be running the bases all the time. Mm-hmm. So I put him in that spot to drive in runs. He liked it. It doesn't matter with him as long as he plays, but he really enjoys hitting second. He feels like that's his spot. And uh, for the rest of the season, that's where he's going to be. What do you like more when he takes those deep breaths in the box or when he just like lays down on the ground? What is that thing where he's just like laying down? It seems like for 30 seconds. I have no idea. I, like, I love. I think this year he hasn't done it as often, but uh, last year there were a lot of conversations between him, right? Like you see him just talking to himself the whole time in the batter's box. You know, he'll miss a pitch and he's like, "Oh, carita," and then it's it's all, most of the time he's in Spanish, but when he drops some f bombs, you know, it's, it's fun to it's fun to watch, and uh, we enjoy having him. He he actually he gets it. One of the things that, uh, as you know, from this group, right, that uh, we got together in 18 when we added JD, they've been amazing on the field, but they've been great off the field, right? No red flags. Uh, they they just show up and play. Uh, no concerns about their character, right? right? And uh, they have represented the organization the right way for the last four or five years. Yeah, and I mean, everything they do at the Jimmy Fund, it's pretty amazing what they've done. And Alex, just before we let you go, Chris Sale, I mean, that first start that he made, I was getting so excited because, I mean, you had mentioned multiple times that he really didn't have a changeup last year, and he had his changeup back. And then he gets the mangled pinky against the Yankees, which was just unfortunate. Then, of course, he falls off the bike. But if Chris Sale is healthy on this team, and I know that's a big if because of issues that he's had in the past, how much of a difference do you think he makes in 2022 based on what you saw leading up to that first start he made? 
I believe it was going to make a difference. I, I really do. Um, obviously, at one point, around that time, we were very young in the rotation, and getting him back in Tampa, it, it was huge for us. Uh, you got to remember, and nothing about the kids, because they have grown in front of us, right? We pitched Seabold, Winkowski, Bayo, and Crawford against the New York Yankees, right, when they were swinging the bat well. And that's not easy to do. Um, you know, we, we lost Michael in Toronto. Uh, we lost Rich in Chicago, the first game against the Cubs. Nate, around that time, we became very young. And you could see, right, like we, we really struggled. But getting back Chris at that time and knowing that Michael was going to come back, we were feeling good about ourselves. That Saturday was a nightmare. That, that Saturday when I saw the line drive and uh, the, the pinky and going into the clubhouse, I was like, this is going to become tough, you know. I'm the most positive uh, person, in, you know, that you can meet, whatever, but I'm very realistic, you know. And I was like, how are we going to pull this off? And uh, we did our best, you know. Uh, one of the things that I'm very proud of this team, if you look at us since the Minnesota series, every game has been a good one. I think only – a really bad one against Kansas City on Saturday. But besides that, it's been a lot of good, clean baseball, you know. And uh, we got Cincinnati today, try to win this one. And uh, I know a lot of people are excited about the weekend, you know. We, not the way we want it, right? But going to New York and putting some some good games and try to win three out of four, that'd be great. All right, Alex. Well, just build him like a home gym or something and just keep him in the gym all season long. Don't let him out of his house. Don't let him ride a bike. And maybe maybe he'll be healthy for the 2023 oh. season. Yeah. Alex, hey, thank you so much for the time. I know you guys are busy. Good luck the rest of the way. And hey, enjoy Eck for the final couple of games of his career. We will. We will. And keep doing a good job, man. A big fan. Uh, I mean, your account is one of the best out there as far as the numbers and being real. So I, I enjoyed this season. And uh Let's have a better one next year. All right, Alex. Appreciate it, my friend. Later, brother. Be well, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Great stuff. And thanks again so much to Alex Cora. Of course, that was great stuff from him. And a lot of, <laughs> I love the Devers story, man. Devers is unbelievable. That guy is a character. But it does have you feeling somewhat really optimistic as a Red Sox fan, knowing what one of the things we talked about off the top, just how dominant Brian Bayo has been and the personality that he has on the mound. That guy is incredibly fun to watch. So he's certainly a reason to watch this team going forward. And Tristan Cass is now and look, he's one of the top three prospects in the organization, along with a guy like like Brian Bayo. So I cannot wait to watch Cassis going into next year. And hear what Cora said. The approach is good. You got to trust the process. He's not swinging at pitches out of the zone. Eventually, we know this kid has the ability to hit home runs, to hit for a high average. So I cannot wait to see him next year as well. So definitely some really interesting things to look at going forward for this team. And we all know how Alex Cora feels about Xander Bogarts. And he reiterated that today, that Bogarts should be part of the future for this organization going forward. So hopefully they can get a deal done with him. The one issue that the Red Sox now run into with the Bogart situation is now I believe he wants to be here. He's made that clear on multiple occasions that Xander Bogarts wants to be a member of this organization going forward and he wants to, 
you would think, retire as a member of the Red Sox organization. But the one issue that they may have is there are going to be some other suitors. At the beginning of the season, maybe you didn't think there'd be as many. But man, the way that he's improved defensively, he continues to hit for a good average. He is a leader. He's a champion. There is going to be a market for Xander Bogarts, of course, including the Phillies. All right, we'll be back with you on Thursday, and we'll get you ready for the Patriots and the Ravens, of course, coming up on Sunday. And as always, if you want to react to anything Alex Cora said or the Patriots and the Ravens game, you can leave us a voicemail. That number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. 